This is a GRDC podcast. Hello there, I'm Chris Brown. On today's GRDC podcast, I have two stories for you, both looking at different aspects of the drought. In a moment, we'll hear from a well-respected agronomist who has some very relevant advice for growers at the break of the drought. And then I'll talk to a mixed farmer who recognised early on the potential impact of the drought on his family's mental health and decided to do something about it. What did he do? Well, he dug a hole. But first, Drew Penberthy is a highly respected agronomist working around the Narrabri region of northern New South Wales. He spoke recently at a Weed Smart conference in Narrabri and, in his usual understated way, threw out to the audience a couple of warnings of what could become significant issues when the drought breaks and crops are planted. I spoke to him a bit later about what was likely to happen when that rain eventually fills the soil profile once again. It'll be a mad scramble for seed, I'd imagine. Uh, Depends when that rain comes. Hopefully we're... We're hoping it's going to be shortly so we can get some summer crop in the ground where it was designated and probably there'd probably be a little bit more going than we normally would just for um, people are struggling obviously a little bit financially so they'll make a few decisions um, that they probably normally wouldn't do and put more summer crop in if it's a, you know, we finally get this break and it ends up a good break. But... You said in your talk uh, today that there could be some issues, uh, particularly in terms of residual herbicides in the ground. Yeah, because we're dealing with so much resistance in our systems now, we're using a lot more residuals in our fallows, I suppose. Not only winter crops, but some fallows. And consequently, with a dry season, we're not getting the breakdown we'd normally get, and that's going to play a bit of havoc around the district I suppose um, with if we do get some summer crops in there we're going to get a bit of chemical damage and herbicide damage that we're going to have to sort out in crop it's just something we're going to have to wear with wear this season I suppose and we'll um, work our way through all those issues as they come but we've obviously been mapping all the paddocks we've had residuals down so we know when we're making these decisions that it's a no no or maybe yeah we'll push it Okay, so it's certainly worth uh, growers going back into their books to have a look or talking to agros about it. Oh, 100%. Yeah, if they've put stuff down, they're going to have to because they'll make a decision really quickly and they won't have much time to react to the rain. They'll be into it, I'd imagine, straight away, as we do, and that's something that people just sometimes forget about. And some of these herbicides have some pretty long residuals, don't they? Yeah, on specific crops, there's some, yeah, 24, 36-month plant backs on some of them, so... You've got to be really careful. So coming into the summer, we've been planting sorghum. What would be some of the big dangers there in terms of residual herbicides? Oh, well, products like Flame are probably one of the biggest ones. Um, really good for our resistant grass weeds, but, yeah, it has a long longevity. Um, there's a lot of balance going out and products like that in certain areas on rotations that I think will be an issue. But even what we used in the previous winter crops, I think, going to be an issue because... Um, Things like Tordon 242's got residual, and we, d- we just haven't had a lot of breakdown of a lot of these products. So, Because it's been so dry. Yeah, it's been, it hasn't rained for 20 months. So, yeah. One of the other issues that you just raised very briefly, but I thought it was worth it exploring, was you know, importing some problems with uh, all this hay coming into the area. Hay and seed. So a lot of the seed people have been getting 
wouldn't have been graded and uh, some of these blokes from down south have got some horrific ryegrass issues. We're starting to get those but that'll be yeah in coming in the hay from down south ryegrass is a real concern for us wild radish. The previous drought 94 a lot of wild radish turned up all of a sudden which was pretty suspect which we reckon came in hay and then there's these some grasses from Queensland if that comes down well that, that's going to create some issues too so where people are feeding their stock if it's out in the middle of a paddock that you're farming yeah i think we're going to run into some issues in probably 18 months time yeah so windborne as well yeah yep there's always windborne can't do much about that one but yeah. importing seed in grain and fodder is a real big con- concern for us yeah obviously residual chemistry has its place and its benefits but as the key message i suppose here at the Weed Smart conferences don't rely on one method at all? No, definitely not. I'm worried we're relying on herbicides too much because all the new technology is all about spraying and reducing that, but being able to use higher rates and all that sort of thing. We need to be looking outside that square as well because pretty much we're hanging on the, the edge of a cliff at the moment. You know, We're very limited on what we can do, so we need to be looking at all these new technologies coming through because they're going to be vital in the war, really. In particular, you're worried about uh, whether we lose Group A's? Yeah, I'm worried about those. Glyphosate, obviously, Group M's. Um, Paraquat, Dioron, they're all all in the bloody scope. If we lose one of those, that's a real big tool we haven't got, and there's nothing really that I can see coming in behind it. Well, I don't think there is. No, and that's really concerning for the industry because I don't think a lot of people realise how... Well, I don't want to be an alarmist, but how close we are to that edge, you know, that, that can happen. As my, everyone knows, Mother Nature's a bitch, as I call her, um, and you think you've got everything right, she'll throw a curveball at you and all of a sudden you're in trouble. Drew Penberthy, an agronomist from Narrabri in northern New South Wales. One of the many, many great lines out of that iconic Australian movie, The Castle, is when Daryl says to his family, Dale dug a hole. Tell him, Dale. And Dale says, I dug a hole. Well, another family has been digging a hole recently, but this hole, I'd suggest, would be a mite bigger than what Dale could dig. Peter Jackson, a mixed farmer from Gurley in northern New South Wales, knew he had to keep his family thinking positive thoughts during the drought. So, with the support of his family and his bank manager, he bought a D11 dozer and began to dig his hole, in actual fact a huge dam, working initially around the clock in two 12-hour shifts. I caught up with him at his farm to talk about his motivations. So, Peter, in the background we can hear your new D11 (laughs) digging a huge, uh, huge hole over here. What was, the, what was the reasoning behind that? Why did you get this? The main reason was that it was dry times and our crops were in the ground and growing fairly well but the forecast was for no rain and it didn't look, it didn't look like rain and we were facing a prospect of not a lot of income, not a lot, of, not a lot to do with, without rain. So I was thinking to myself, what can you do when it's not raining? And one thing you can do is you can do earthworks, uh, capital works improvement, that sort of stuff. So our dam, our home, domestic stock and domestic dam, had gone dry. And I thought, well, we need to dig a hole. So what do you do? What do I do today, Mum? I went and dug a hole. So we dug a hole. Um, and it's a, fairly, it's a fairly deep sort of a hole. 
uh, 10 metres we've gone to try and drought proof the property working on 2 metres a year of evaporation and we felt that that extra depth was something that we really wanted to aim for and so we've just finished that and now we're moving on to earth uh, banks, uh, waterways and, and contour banks after harvest but just to keep active, keep a, mo- a positive mindset, looking for opportunities to uh, improve the property while we can't do, while we can't work on the cash flow. So it was, it was more than really than just sticking in a hole, it was, there were really, I suppose, strong reasons from a mental health point of view? Absolutely. My, uh, my family has a history of mental health issues and my concern at the moment is that uh, it's not so much financial for us all because the um, you know the, the doctors the police uh, the bankers they don't come and shoot you we do that to ourselves and um, there's no need for it and I think the part that I'd like to play as a father and a husband and as a grandfather is to to try and provide uh, some uh, a stepping stone for those who follow me to say, well, OK, he started something, maybe it's a good thing, maybe it's not, but we'll improve on it or we can do more. But just to at least start even a conversation going, I think is very important. Absolutely, absolutely. How did you convince your uh, bank manager? It's not cheap. No, it's not cheap, but one of the things that does help us is the capital value of our land has increased, and that probably is understated, but it's a fact. It doesn't affect your cash flow, but it does leave a positive vibe in our community, and um, I asked my bank manager whether he wanted us to shut down or whether he wanted us to be proactive and look for opportunities, and he wanted us to keep going and not shut up shop. So that's what we plan to do, and it may mean that we've got a creek that we needs cleaning out with, with invasive species. We may just get an excavator and, and try to use our labour and our resources to stay active and do something productive on our land until it rains again. But the genesis was the need to be doing something? The, the need to be active, the need to be positive in your thinking, because if you shut down, you miss opportunities. And people, you know, a ship that has no headway... The rudder doesn't is ineffective. We need to be moving. We need to be going and and at least attempting to make a difference. And uh, you can change your direction if you're moving. The direction won't change if you're stopped. Did your family give you support in this decision? Yes, yes. Um, I'm one of those characters that tends to be, uh, you know, love me or hate me. Um, I'm not right about everything, but I do have an opinion about everything. <laughs> and, and I don't mind being challenged on um, different ideas, but I suppose, no, I haven't. I've found support very much for, for continuing. Oh, no, it's done, everything we've done was with, with consulting different parties. We don't, I hardly ever make a decision just on my own. It's with consulting other people because I, I just think my own recommendation of myself is not a very good one. And so if other people have a value or, or an opinion on what we're doing and some of the ideas, I'd place more regard in that than I do my own opinion. Well, it's a, it's a damn big hole. You're going to be able to fill it with water when this drought breaks? The first flood will, uh, will fill it. Peter Jackson and his family focused on the future. Well done, Peter, both for your efforts and your candour. Well, a GRDC podcast with a bit of a difference. Thanks for listening. My name is Chris Brown. Chris Brown.